to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. Today we will be joined by Dr. Wilma Shankles and Jonathan Work to discuss disease management in cattle. Wilma was recently welcomed to the Department of Agriculture team as the Chief Veterinary Officer for the province of Nova Scotia. She developed her love for agriculture growing up on a dairy farm near Miramichi, New Brunswick. Wilma then attended the Nova Scotia Agricultural College, followed by the Atlantic Veterinary College. She joined the department following 25 years in private practice, the majority of which was a large animal veterinarian with Fundy Veterinarians in Truro, Nova Scotia. Wilma and her husband, Ed McMillan, have four children, all of which are in various stages of post-secondary education. Multiple-time guest Jonathan Wirt is the manager of livestock and field crops at Perennia. He has an extensive knowledge of ruminant production and management. In addition to his experience in policy and regulation related to livestock, both provincially and nationally. With over 25 years experience as a commercial farmer raising sheep and beef and delivering custom farm service, Jonathan brings practical experience with his current extension responsibilities. As a producer, Jonathan has experience in the importation and marketing of livestock genetics. Uh, Dr. Shankles and Jonathan, I'd like both to the podcast today. Thank you, Brad. So Wilma, uh, before we get over to some some common diseases and and how to manage the especially the health of those young animals, uh, young calves, you know, from from your experience of being out on the farm as, as a veterinarian now with your current role uh, as a CVO here in Nova Scotia, uh, you know, what have what are some of the things that you've seen and maybe generalize to some of the challenges uh, that we have here in Nova Scotia uh, for reproductive management. Uh, and what are maybe some of our advantages that we have or some of uh, maybe some of the practices that certain sectors have that that help really improve their reproductive success? Okay, Brad, I think really one of the advantages we have in this area is that we do have relatively small herds and, and the farmers are, are relatively aware of of their, you know, their cows as to what's happening with each individual animal. That's a huge advantage in, in that you can kind of keep a close eye on those animals in, in that respect. Some of the challenges I think that we have and we have to look at with that is kind of as as, as Jonathan said, is keeping track of those animals and, and knowing when they've had, you know, when they're not being productive. So we have to look at our, our pregnancy and calving rates to see which cows are actually calving every year and producing cows every, calves every year that are being productive for you. We also, I think one of the challenges we have here is, is kind of the length of our calving season. We don't tend to maybe try to get these animals all, all to calve out in a short period of time. And as Jonathan says, that affects our marketing on the other end. So it's getting those animals 
prepared for breeding and then making sure our, our, our bull is in good shape and ready to breed those cows when, when we want to get them bred. And that will hopefully help to reduce the length of our calving season. The other challenge that we sometimes see is, is abortions. And I think those are things that we really have to, you know, use our laboratory services for to get diagnosis on those abortions, to see what the cause is, and then to address those causes on a herd basis to see if we can prevent that from becoming a problem in the future. And then I guess, you know, really, the environment is the other thing that's kind of a bit of a challenge here, especially at calving time. Um, you know, we're often calving cows out in wet conditions, and that makes it difficult to keep those those calves landing on the ground in clean, dry in a clean, dry environment, which is is important to the survivability of the calf. So those are really the big challenges I think that we see here in the Maritimes. Now that we've got the, the calf on the ground, what's the keys to success uh, for making sure that that calf has a good start in life to ensure that it, first of all, it survives, uh, and second of all, that it, it gets a good jump start so it can be as productive uh, as we need it to be and hopefully profitable when we go to market that animal? So I think that the biggest thing we need to see with that calf is that first, you know, four to six hours is is crucial for that calf. We want that calf to kind of hit the ground running. And in order to do that, we have to have a healthy cow. We have to have a healthy calving. So any calf that, you know, is born to a cow that has a difficult time calving, um, that, that's going to compromise the calf and, and reduce the health outcomes for that calf. So the big things that we want to look at is, you know, especially for our heifers calving, make sure that we're raising them so that they're calving at a good weight. We want to make sure that we're not using bulls that are too big so that we don't have dystocious and don't have difficult calvings. Then when that calf does hit the ground, we want to, you know, to hit the ground in a clean, dry environment. We want that calf up and nursing quickly and we want it to nurse from an udder that is clean. So its first meal is, is really just that colostrum. We don't want, I guess one of the issues with colostrum management is, is you know, we wanna make sure that cow has lots of colostrum, but we also want it to be really clean colostrum. So we want the udder to be clean because what happens is as that calf absorbs the, the antibodies from the colostrum, it can also absorb the bacteria and viruses from the colostrum. So if that colostrum is is coming from an udder that's covered in manure, the calf's going to absorb some of that too and increase the chances of it getting sick. You know, really getting that colostrum in there is, is crucial for any calf health program. And that's really the big thing that we definitely want to get in there. So, so good calving management, those calves born up and nursing quickly and nursing good amounts of clean colostrum. There's no question in my opinion that Wilma's 100% correct. You know, the, the outcome of your calf is totally dependent on the amount of colostrum that it gets in the first few hours of its life and uh, making sure that that colostrum is high quality. In other words, the cow is in good, good health and well fed so she can produce good quality colostrum and then just, you know, getting it to or into the calf in a, in a clean condition. So, 
you know, hopefully your cow udder's not covered with mud and you know she hasn't had to wallow through mud up to her belly. And then, you know, just making sure that the calf gets the volume that it needs. And it's going to do that best if it's healthy and, you know, not compromised by a hard calving. So any any hard calvings that you have, you're really going to have to, you know, take a few extra minutes with, with those calves and make sure that they get the colostrum that they require. And if you don't, they're just not going to do as well as the other calves. So sticking to the colostrum conversation here, just before we, we move on and and one of the things that we often hear, or sometimes I guess here, and we've had a couple of workshops on it recently, uh, is around quality colostrum and you know suitable substitutes if something happens with the cow or if there's troubles with the calf and we need to get some extra colostrum into that calf. Either of you have any comments on on that and and using um, either colostrum that you've got stored or some of the commercially available colostrum and and how to manage between those two. So yeah, there are situations certainly when replacement colostrum is, is necessary. And so it's, it's how to get that amount of colostrum into the calf. The thing we want to be aware of with colostrum is it, it varies in its quality and its immunoglobulin content. So it depends where we're getting that replacement colostrum from. In many cases, we tend to get our colostrum replacement if we're using frozen colostrum, it's coming from dairy cows. Oftentimes that colostrum quality may not be as high as what's coming out of a beef cow, but there are some good tools out there now that we can use to measure colostrum quality. And, and one is a simple um, Brick's refractometer. It will measure the colostrum quality and, and on that we want it to measure a Brick score of 22 or above to indicate that it is good quality colostrum you know based on that quality is is how much do we want to feed the calf so if you've got good quality colostrum that's above 22 and a bricks refractometer you can feed about four liters of colostrum to that calf within the first six hours and that will probably give it pretty good immunity the other thing to be aware of is with the bagged um, freeze-dried colostrums we can certainly use those as well they are a good product but you have to be aware that the immunoglobulin content in that is a little bit lower. And for most calves, it depends a little bit on the size, but for most calves, you actually need a bag and a half of that as a, opposed to a bag to give you the immunoglobulin transfer that you need. So Wilma, is, is there differences in the commercially available colostrums in the way they're made and, and then the way the calves uh, can absorb the immunoglobulins from the the colostrum. My understanding is that there is, and some of the some of the cheaper products are maybe made out of blood products rather than milk. Yeah, it's it's to look at um, how these products are made. Most of them are made of freeze dried colostrum, and those would be the, the the products that I would be looking for. The other thing to look at is these bags all have the immunoglobulin content listed on them so look at when you're buying the product look at the immunoglobulin content of the package and you want to get the highest immunoglobulin content that you can 
In upcoming events, the Nova Scotia Cattle Producers and Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia have been posting monthly virtual farm tours. Please visit nscattle.ca and nssheep.ca and their social media channels to view these monthly releases. The Nova Scotia Cattle Producers are hosting a virtual feeder calf market outlook workshop on March 22nd from 7 to 8 p.m. The workshop will feature Doug Brooks from St. Isidore, Ab Carroll from Ontario Stockyards, and Scott Dixon from Atlantic Stockyards. To register, please visit nscattle.ca or their Facebook or Twitter feeds. Pork Nova Scotia will hold their virtual annual meeting on April 15th, beginning at 7.30 p.m. Please contact info at porknovascotia.ca or call the office at 893-7455 to register. In upcoming bowl sales, the ninth annual Ballamore Farm Thickness Sales Bowl Sale will be March 20th at the Ballamore Farm Sale Barn beginning at 2 p.m. Additional information such as the link to their catalog can be found on their Facebook page. The 49th annual Maritime Beef Testing Side and Breeding Stock Sale will be held virtually on April 3rd. For more information on the sale, such as how to bid virtually or to view bowl videos, please visit maritimebeefteststation.ca. In upcoming feeder sales at Atlantic Stockyards, they will be held on March 18th, April 13th, and April 27th. There will also be a spring equipment sale, which will be held on Saturday, April 17th. For more information, please visit AtlanticStockyards.com. And please ensure that you're regularly checking the Nova Scotia Programs website for available programs. This can be accessed at NovaScotia.ca forward slash programs. So, so shifting over a little bit to talk about common diseases. So what are some common health diseases that we see on a lot of beef farms here in Nova Scotia or the Maritimes? You know, how do we as producers identify those? I guess really once we've identified them, uh, what are our initial uh, responses to those uh, to help mitigate any, um, any negative outcomes? So when we're talking about calving, I guess um, let's go with the first most common disease and that would be calf scours. We see this frequently in calves on farms. Prevention again is crucial and that's where you know getting a good protocol in place with your veterinarian as how to prevent calf scours and then as well how to treat calf scours when you see it. The biggest thing, and I think the most important thing with scour treatment is to make sure you're catching these calves early. And what really is probably the, the biggest thing that, that affects these calves the most and results in, in deaths most often is dehydration and acidosis. And so the biggest and most important thing with these calves is to get a good quality electrolyte solution into them early. And that means using an electrolyte solution that's formulated for, for treating calf scours. Um, these electrolyte solutions have to have an alkalizing agent in them that, that kind of treats the acidosis that that calf is undergoing. And they have to be mixed to the proper concentration. Otherwise, they really don't help the calf. And then we want to feed the calves enough of that electrolyte to correct the dehydration that they're, they're undergoing. And that amount will vary depending on how severe the, the uh, scours are in the calf. 
So, you know, we have to adjust that amount depending on what we see the calf doing. And that's where it's important to develop a good treatment protocol with your veterinarian to determine those things and help develop those guidelines so that you know how to use those electrolytes properly. So if you want to talk about the types of scarring in calves, I think we can look at them basically in, in, in neonatal calves. We have probably, you know, three, three types of scours basically. Farmers often talk about nutritional scours and feeding too much milk and too much milk causing scours. That really probably isn't an issue. Calves can handle a lot of milk and, and we see calves drinking, you know, 12, 16 liters a day and they're, they're healthy and they're growing wonderfully. Where we can get into issues with nutritional scours is when that milk is contaminated with other bacterium, viruses, or parasites. And that's where we run into issues. So we're really looking at, you know, the three types of scours being viral, um, bacterial, or parasitic. For most viral scours, the important thing is, again, getting those electrolytes in there. There is no antibiotic or other treatment that's really going to help for those viral scours. Um, really, the calf has to get over it on its own. So, so keeping that calf healthy and well hydrated is your best defense in that case. We do also get sometimes bacterial scours, and those would be your E. coli scours. With those, in some cases, um, you know, again, keeping that calf hydrated is crucial. In some cases, in these situations, we will turn to antibiotics to help with those, particularly if the calf is what we term septicemic, and that means that the, the bacteria is also traveling in the bloodstream. Um, and sometimes then it settles out in joints, causing joint heal. Those are the calves that we do really want to treat with bacteria, with antibiotics. The other type of scours would be our parasitic scours. And, and in this case, I'm, I'm thinking particularly in young calves of Cryptosporidia, which is a fecal oral parasite. Again, there is not, you know, the main thing, most calves that get crypto scours will get over it on their own as long as they are kept hydrated and healthy in that respect. There is really, there's a few drugs out there to help treat crypto scours, but their efficacy is a little bit uh, questionable at times. And they will be used in specific situations rather than probably generically. In older calves, sometimes we also see coccidiosis as a problem. And in this case, you know, treatment is necessary with an anti-coccidiostat drug. Those calves are usually you know, a little bit older. And that's, again, it's it's an environmental thing. So we can look at other things to prevent that um, and try to keep the parasite load down low enough so that doesn't become an issue. The other thing we often do is as these calves get into creep feed, we start to put an anti-coccidiostat in the feed. So that helps to prevent coccidial scours. So I think this is the perfect example of where a good relationship with your veterinarian and, and having a good herd health program comes into play because, you know, as the veterinarian is, is working with you on an ongoing basis and you do have a problem with, you know, calf scours or scouring animals, you know, you can really focus in on what the cause is and, and then, you know, develop a, a, an appropriate uh, treatment protocol and uh, you know have that available for the next year so that you know what's uh, potentially coming down the road 
are there any other common neonatal calf diseases or challenges uh, that we want to make sure everybody's aware of and, and what to watch for? So I think the other probably big disease that we see in calves is pneumonia. And that, again, you know, is something you really want to talk to your veterinarian about, particularly for prevention, because that's a really costly one. Pneumonia in, in calves can, you know, we, we can treat those often with antibiotics, but it, they can leave lasting lasting effects on that animal. We often see those animals that are affected with reduced growth rates and reduced calving rates. So it does have a, a lifelong impact on that calf. So the big thing we wanna do again is, is develop plans to prevent pneumonias in calves rather than to be treating them. And I think we have to look at, you know, maybe vaccination programs to forget, prevent those, but also, you know, look at our calving environment and air quality to help with the prevention of those. And again, you know, this is something that you'll want to consult with your veterinarian on. But when you do run into issues with pneumonia, you want to have a good treatment plan in place that you can initiate quickly and treat those calves effectively early on so that we're not getting those lifelong implications. I think yeah, everything that Wilma has talked about today is like spot on. And you know, I think that the big take home message here is that you know, if you can get that calf off to a good start uh, without any problems, it's going to produce for you for the rest of its life, whether it's you know, getting finished or, or going into your breeding herd. But anything that compromises that calf at calving time is going to have a long term effect on its productivity. You may not actually see it, but it will have an impact. Doing everything right, building up to calving time, and then making sure that you know everything at calving time you, you do is is to maintain the health of those calves is really going to you know dictate the the positive outcome that you want to see in your calves moving down the road and and going to market. So it's uh, you know it, being prepared and working with your veterinarian, developing a good herd health program is critical. To, uh, to successful production of whether it's, you know, calves or lambs or, or any kind of animal. Here's the market report for the weekend at March 12th, 2021, brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited, which has been Atlantic Canada's primary auction mart for more than 60 years. In the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $1.99 per kilogram, up 10.8 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was up 10.8 cents from last week to $1.91 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $1.97 per kilogram, up 4.3 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price at Atlantic Beef Products was $2.35 on the rail, an increase of two cents from the previous week. In Ontario, live steers sold for $1.40, up three cents from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was $2.44, down a cent from the week prior. Call cattle at Atlantic Stockyards sold for 83 cents, no change from last week, while rail price Atlantic beef products was $1.37, down 5 cents from last week. Calls in Ontario averaged 68 cents, down 4 cents from the prior week, and 67 cents in on Quebec moving down 3 cents. Good Bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards sold for $85, down $66, while calves in Ontario were up 4 cents to a price of $1.53 per pound. Calves in Quebec were $1.33, an increase of $0.15 cents per pound. 
base price for lambs at Northumberland Brookside Abattoir were $13.20 for old crop and $13.40 for new crop. And mutton sits at $6 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs Atlantic Stockyards averaged $3.80 per pound at 61 pounds, ranging from $3.75 to $3.85. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs averaged $4.39 per pound at 58 pounds, ranging from $3.87 to $4.91. For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they were $3.40 per pound at 66 pounds. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs averaged 4.18 per pound at 72 pounds, ranging from $2 to $4.42. Used Atlantic stockyards ranged from $100 to $295, averaging $235. And in Ontario, used average $229 at 158 pounds, ranging from $1.70 to $330. Make sure you check the association websites for additional pricing information. So with beef cattle, uh, a lot of folks are still managing cattle both on pasture and in the barn. Jonathan or, or Wilma, are there different challenges to uh, either diseases in either location and, and how prevalent they are or, you know, monitoring animals for uh, diseases or health challenges, whether they're in the barn uh, or out on pasture? That's an interesting question, Brad. I think, you know, realistically, when animals are in the barn, they're they're probably potentially, you know, exposed to, to different things than they would be at pasture. Um, and definitely, you know, depending on the air quality in the barn, you can run into some problems, respiratory problems that you typically wouldn't see on pasture. Having said that, I mean, your livestock are on pasture. I mean, it's harder to check them and keep an eye on them and, uh, and make sure that everybody's healthy. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that, that people overlook when they have livestock and pasture. You know, they they probably don't uh, spend enough time checking them. And, uh, you know, if there is a problem develops, quite often it progresses further than what it would if it was in the barn and you were seeing the animals, you know, two or three times a day. I think one of the other things that we have to look at when we are on pasture is is parasites and specifically the internal parasites that cattle often get on pasture. And so that is again something that is really good to discuss with your veterinarian. How do we control these these parasites and what are the best things to use? You know, you really want to develop a parasite management plan and that should things such as rotating pastures, avoiding overgrazing, um, perhaps using fecal egg counts to, to monitor the parasite levels, and then strategic use of antimantics, and, and those are the things that, that kill the parasites. When we think about using those, we have to use the right drug at the right time and the right dose, and those are, are things that are really important. Um, you know, we often see farmers deworming cattle before they go to pasture, and that is really totally ineffective. Um, so you really have to bear in mind the life cycle of the parasites and, and strategic use of those products to, to get things at the right time. So maybe switching gears uh, a little bit and, and talking more about, you know, the future of the herd. You know, what are we looking for when we're looking at particularly our, our young females and, and some of our replacement stock? What, what should we be looking at as far as, you know, outside of the productivity things and, you know, confirmation? Uh, what should we be looking for on the health side when picking replacements? 
I think you know one of the biggest things are the the you know the the foundation is to make sure that you have a kind of a management plan uh, and you stick to it in terms of you know selecting your heifers and then you know making sure that they grow over the period of time that you're developing them and make sure that they're ready um, to breed and then managing those heifers after through the through the gestation and and their lactation to ensure that they fully develop and uh, they become you know long-time herd members because i think far too often people don't uh, pay enough attention to that and they end up you know culling those heifers early because they they don't perform particularly well because they haven't been managed in their earlier life uh, i i think that's a big thing and then obviously making sure that you have uh, a vaccination plan that goes along with that that heifer development plan so you can you know make sure that those those animals are adequately protected and their calves receive some protection as they uh, they they're born into the world and start to develop i would just echo jonathan's um, thoughts on that i mean really the main thing is to get those heifers growing well so that they are ready to be bred at 14 to 15 months and so that means reaching the proper weight at that time without um, getting those heifers too fat because if they get too fat it can affect their future milk production and and how they perform as as females and vaccination programs again are important and that's something that we really need to discuss with our veterinarian particularly for these animals that are going to be bred for the first time so now that we've got the these young cows in our in our brood herd you know, how do we make sure that they do live long, productive lives and produce calves on an annual basis that uh, we can send off to market with good weaning weights and uh, can be profitable for us? I think the key there is to make sure that you, you, you know, you pay attention to, to your feeding program and your management program for all of your calves and uh, recognize that, you know, there's different stages in production all the way through their life cycle so you know you have to adjust your feeding uh, to to meet those production stages in the life cycle of the cow and and her growth period from heifer you know from calf to heifer through a mature cow and then into older ages and recognize that all of those stages have different requirements and that you know in order to maintain their health uh, you need to uh, to make sure that they get their nutritional requirements are met. Um, and then in addition to that, as, as uh, Wilma has just said, you know, I, I, I really believe that a good vaccination program is, is a key to, to, to ensuring some longevity in your herd as well. And, and that requires, you know, with the, the myriad of different vaccines that are available today, I think really that does require a good relationship with your veterinarian and consultation with the veterinarian to make sure that you know, you're using the best combination of products that you can. The other thing I think is really key, and it goes back to nutrition, is making sure that you actually get the, you know, adi adequate minerals and vitamins into the cows uh, that they need. You know, they can be pretty, uh, pretty resilient, and you can get away with, with being slack on it. But I think one of the key things that makes a difference between a really good, care, you know, beef herd or, or flock of sheep and one that's just kind of average is is the attention that people pay to nutrition and and particularly mineral and vitamins. 
And I think there's a few diseases that we, we need to look at um, in the longevity of the herd because they can have a, a lasting impact on your herd. Um, we really want to look at, you know, the number of cows that are leaving your herd on an annual basis and and those leaving for chronic diseases should be less than 10% of your herd. So, you know, diseases that can really impact that are, are bovine viral diarrhea and Yoni's disease and also lameness um, is a big one. So we do want to be looking at controlling those those issues within our herds and and there are you know again various methods such as vaccination disease control protocols that you need to discuss with your veterinarian to get those things under control in your herd one of the things we talked a little bit about in a previous episode is uh biosecurity and preventing those diseases from coming on the farm um, rather than having to manage them once they're there. What's the importance of a biosecurity program and what are the very basics that you should be considering when uh, introducing a biosecurity or evaluating your current biosecurity plan on your farm? So really, I think we have to think of the, the components of a biosecurity plan. And, and so there's really three basic components. And one is we're trying to prevent the introduction of infectious diseases to your farm. We're also trying to prevent the spread of diseases on your farm and preventing the export of these diseases off your farm, especially if they have an adverse effect on, on the economy, the environment, or human health. So those are really the three pillars of, of a biosecurity program, and that's what we're trying to accomplish with them. Um, and I think that the big thing is to know you know what you have on your farm what diseases are present there and to prevent introducing new ones to your farm so that means buy cattle from known sources preferably few sources and introducing them quarantining them for a while when you're introducing them so you're not bringing new things in and then it's again looking at vaccination programs to protect your herd from things you might bring in or to reduce the spread of things within your herd. And those that's really the big important things is, is to kind of know diseases, what are there and what's not there. And then there's also what introduces diseases to our farms. And the, and the big thing I think is other cattle. People can also be a source. And so, you know, we typically don't think of, you know, having people, visitors on our farms, but really monitoring that as far as, you know, basically if they come with clean clothing, clean footwear, farm dedicated footwear that is unique to your farm, that's going to help curb the spread of diseases and introduction of diseases to your farm as well. And those are, are big pillars of any good biosecurity program. For anyone interested in finding out more about beef biosecurity, they can actually visit nscattle.ca forward slash animal health. And there you'll find the Canadian beef cattle on farm biosecurity standard. Uh, and then Jonathan, how do folks reach out to you at Perennio uh, to find out more about biosecurity as well? Well, certainly we have some uh, materials available on our website. So if you go to uh, perennia.ca, you can find all kinds of uh, information uh, related to management and, and uh, other agricultural topics, including biosecurity.
I think this wraps up our discussion with uh, Dr. Wilma Shankles and Jonathan Wirt around beef herd health. I want to thank you both very much for joining me today. Uh, as always, it's great speaking with you and, and gathering your knowledge and, and sharing it with as many folks as we can. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you on a, a future episode, whether it's related to, to cattle or another species. Thanks, Brad. It's a pleasure to join you. Thank you, Brad. You hear Dr. Wilma Shankles and Jonathan Wirt in an earlier episode discussing the importance of having a vet client patient relationship, as well as outlining Nova Scotia's herd health and flock health programs. Please check out Maritime AgCast episode 9, BCPR and herd health program. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime AgCast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime AgCast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.